You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. All right, well, go over with me to Romans chapter 13, verse 8. We have been talking about supernatural financial prosperity, and we, after four lessons, we finally got through the introduction. So praise the Lord. We are going to continue on talking about the kingdom system today. Supernatural financial prosperity in the kingdom system. In Romans 13, 8 from the Amplified, it says, Keep out of debt and owe no man anything except to love one another. For he who loves his neighbor and practices loving others has fulfilled the law relating to one's fellow man, meeting all the requirements. Father, I thank you. I thank you, Lord. We endeavor to be word people. Therefore, we want to be out of debt and out of the world's system and in the kingdom system. Holy Spirit, today I ask that you guard and guide the word that it shall be spoken that the word of God shall be spoken, that it shall not return void, but it shall accomplish what you please and prosper in that thing for which it was sent. Father, let us, both the, the, the giver and the speaker and the hearer, grow in the power and knowledge of the Holy Spirit, that you, Lord, can lead us into all prosperity, that we can be the answer for the world, since we will be the only Jesus this world will ever see. And we thank you, Lord, for that, in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. If we can't be the example for the world, the world's not going to have an example. And for too long, and far too long, the church has been negligent in its responsibility to be an example for this world. There, we've been talking, let's just review real quick, we've been talking about the fact that there are two different systems at work in the world today. There is the world system, or what uh, we could refer to as the Babylonian system of finance. And it could be uh, you know, really labeled a system of debt. The Babylonian system works on debt. It works on debt in two extremes. It works on debt for those who have, and it works in the system of debt for those who don't. The ones in, that are in debt are in bondage to the ones that are providing the finances. It really is an earth-cursed system, which we'll talk a little bit more about today. But there is another system, and it's called the kingdom financial system. It's, the, it's God's financial system, and it really can be typified by the word increase. God's system is a system of increase. But we also learn that you will only do what you know. You're going to be limited by what you think and what you know in your mind. And that's why it's so important that we transform our mind, that we renew our mind to the Word of God. We need to be transformed into kingdom thinking. We also talked about the fact that money has a way that it works. And we need to understand how money works because God understands how money works. See, God has no money issues, he has no possession issues, he has no lust issues, he has no deceit issues. Why? Because he understands how kingdom things work. And we need to be transformed to understand how kingdom things work so that we can operate on earth as it is in heaven. Isn't that what Jesus prayed? And I said in there, I also said, said that we refuse to take time to learn how money works, therefore we don't have wealth. The wealth of the world has been devoid from the church. But the sinners do. And that's not the way God intended it to be. And when we do that, we don't give the Holy Spirit anything to work with. We have nothing for Him to work with. And then we talked last week about the fact that debt is stealing life from believers. 
Debt is robbing God's people. And it is who that came to steal, kill, and destroy? Well, we just saw it during tithes and offerings. The devil comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus came that we would have life and have it more abundantly. And so I want to talk about the kingdom financial system and how it works. Get, you know, an overview of how the kingdom financial system works. See, God's wealth plan is a legacy plan. Many times when I talk to people, whether I'm doing financial seminars or whether I'm doing counseling or whatever I'm doing, when I talk to people, Americans have lost the legacy model. They're, they're so bound in debt, they're so barely get by, that what they can think about is, how do I put enough in my retirement in order to have enough money to live out my life to the end? But see, there was a time when people thought in the form of legacy. They thought about building legacy for their children's children. They thought about leaving inheritances for their children's children. They thought not just about their retirement, but they thought about their children's retirement, and they thought about their grandchildren's retirement. And that's the way the kingdom system works. God did not build a system that is supposed to only last one generation. God's system is legacy. He's not thinking just about you. See, he thought about your great-grandparents, your grandparents, your parents, you, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and your great-grandkids, and so on and so forth. He is a legacy God. And because he's a legacy God, he thinks in the terms of increase. Because the only way legacy can happen is if there's increase. Because there's the law of diminishing returns. If you take, uh, we'll just say you take a million dollars, and you're the only one that has that, right? You've got a million dollars. But now you get married. Now what do you have? You have $500,000 and your spouse has $500,000. Right? And now you have five kids. Now what do you have? You don't have anything because you had to pay to raise them in college and all the rest of the thing. But see, there's diminishing returns. But God is the God of increase. He is, in fact, is in Psalms 115, 14, he says, he will increase you more and more, you and your children. Because he's not a God of diminishing returns. He wants to increase it so that not only do you have a million dollars, but when you get married to your spouse, now you have three million dollars. You say, well, how does that math work? He's the God of increase. He wants a million for you. He wants a million for your spouse. He wants a million of increase so that you have more than enough to give and be involved in every good work. Remember, prosperity is having enough to meet all of your needs in life and having enough left over to meet the needs of the world. So it's not all about just what we can get. And that's why I have no problems and never, you know, I have, and unfortunately I grew up, you know, and I've shared this story of, of Pastor Casey and Wendy Treat when they got their first two Mercedes, when they were young ministers, that the Mercedes dealer had sewed those into their life. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, you should sell that and give it to the poor. Well, that's a Judas spirit. Isn't that the same thing that Judas said to Jesus? She shouldn't have used that fragrant, expensive oil on you, Jesus. It should have been sold and given to the poor. See, that, that's a spirit of poverty. And we need to break that in the church and realize having things is not a problem. Things having you is a problem. But you having things, you should be like a river. Things should pass through you just like they're flowing right down the Mississippi River. Hopefully they're a little cleaner. I've seen the Mississippi River and it's not very clean. But praise the Lord. God did not intend for born-again believers, children of God, 
to be servants to anyone. In Proverbs 22, 7, it says, The rich rule over the poor, and the borrower is servant to the lender. God never intended for us as believers to be servants to people with money. He designed us to be in fellowship with Him, not bound because of debt. Go with me to Deuteronomy chapter 28. I want to read verse, verse 12. Deuteronomy 28, 12. In Deuteronomy 28, 12, it says, And the Lord will open to you His good treasures, the heavens, to give the rain to your land in its season, and to bless all the work of your hands. You shall lend to many nations, and, but you shall not borrow. See, servants and slaves, they live in the it's good enough. They live in the land of it's good enough. Right when when they have enough that they can that they can eat that they can feel satisfied that they can lay their heads down they live in that land but see God doesn't live in that land but see servants and slaves they live in that land of when their bills are paid I can rest I'm satisfied it's good enough but see God doesn't live in that land he wants to make us lenders of nations but because we become so equipped, so trained, so built on the fact that, it, that it's okay to be slaves, how did we get that way? Well, for 13, 12 or 13 years in school, they trained you how to be the best slave you can be. Now, we don't call them slaves in America. We call them employees. We call them people that are doing the work of other people. And we teach them how to live on just enough to get by, how to manage debt so that they can pay all their bills, so that they can save just enough so they can enter into retirement to have just enough to live out their life. And we've been trained so much by that that we are satisfied with that life. Why? Because it's good enough. But God didn't intend for us to be good enough. God didn't intend for us to be self-centric. He, he intended for us to be able to expand the kingdom of God. That we would have more than enough. That we would have more than enough. So we must change our thinking. We must change our attitudes towards kingdom finances if we're going to experience kingdom financial blessing. If we're going to experience supernatural financial prosperity, we have got to change the way we think. We have got to change our attitude towards money. I, I was there. There was a time where I, I thought it was good to, to, to say, be able to say, you know, I'm not interested in money. There was a time where I thought that. But the Lord had to check me up. Because it's, a, you know, I don't want money to have me. And that's where I was, I was getting to. I mean, that was my, the intent. I didn't want money to have me. And I didn't want money to be the thing that, that drove me. But I didn't realize that by having that type of attitude that I was not allowing God to, to send His prosperity into me that I could meet the need of the world. I have been on many missions trips. And you know, there's one thing in common about every one of them. They cost lots of money. Every one of them costs lots of money. I've even had mission trips I've missed. You know why? Because I didn't have the money to go on them. So I, got, I started to understand that, you know, it wasn't about being spiritual by being able to say, hey, you know, I, I, the money's not important. Money is important. In fact, as Solomon said, money answers everything. Money sends you on mission trips. 
Money helps to print uh, witnessing flyers. Money helps to buy television time. Money puts us on live stream. Money buys cameras. Money pays for buildings and buys land. Money is, is important to the body of Christ. We have to change our thinking. And I love the quote of W. Clement Stone. He said, it's your attitude, it's your attitude, it's your attitude. Change your attitude. And as believers, if we can change our attitude towards money and get God's mindset about money towards finances, we now can start becoming the, the, the witness for the world. I know that uh, many of you have probably heard Eugene talk about, uh, you, you know, uh, what's going to make the Jews jealous. Well, the Bible says what's going, to, what's going to make the Jews jealous and drive them to the gospel of Christ or to Yeshua HaMashiach, that jealousy is going to be that you have something that they don't. Well, last time I checked, most of the Jews have the diamond businesses, the gold businesses, the jewelry businesses, the financial institutions. And the church is out here saying that, uh, well, money's evil. I want to be poor and humble. We are not giving the world anything to be jealous about. And yet, God's kingdom, for somebody who is, is, uh, is, is lustful to other things, I mean, they, they want the big TVs, the shiny cars, the, 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 you know, the gold bling and all the other stuff. The kingdom of God has it all. God's got doorknobs made of diamonds. He's got gates made of single pearls. I mean, the world should be hungering for what God has. But the church, the church has perverted God's word and accept the lie of the enemy and chose poverty over prosperity. God's system of increase. We need to understand this. God's system of increase. It's not designed to be based upon your labor. Do you know that? God's system of increase is not designed to be based upon your labor. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. Genesis 2, verse 15. Genesis 2, 15, it says, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. So let me ask you some questions. Did Adam have to toil to build the garden? No. Did Adam have to water the garden? Nope. Did Adam have to plow and plant the garden? Nope. What was Adam's responsibility in the garden? He was put in there to tend and keep it. His job was to reap the harvest. Adam's responsibility was to experience the increase of the garden. You have the same covenant that Adam had. The same covenant right. That's what Jesus bought back for us. The same covenant that Adam had. The right to experience the harvest, the right to experience increase. See, under the cursed earth system, this world system, this Babylonian system, it comes through our work and toil. Now flip over to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17. Genesis 3, 17. Let's look and see what happened after Adam and Eve allowed sin to come in, allowed the curse to come into the world system. Verse 17 of chapter 3, it says, Then Adam, he said, then to Adam he said, God said to Adam, because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Now, I want you, let's just stop here. Men, trust me, there is great wisdom in heeding the voice of your, your wife. That's not what this is saying. God is saying, because you heeded the voice that was contradictory to mine. 
Because you heeded or because you paid attention, because you did something that was opposite of what I have commanded of you. You have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying... Now, make sure you let my wife know what I said right there, please. Praise the Lord. Uh, because, <laughs> because you have eaten... Okay, get my composure back here. All right, because you have eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. So the system of toil is the cursed earth system. This system where we work 40 to 50 hours a week to live so that when we retire, we can live on 40 to 50% of what we couldn't live on before. Remember that? I mean, that's the, the cursed earth system, man. We're out working for 40 to 50 years. Oh, that's it. We're working 40 to 50 years for 40 to 50 hours a week so that we can live on 40 to 50% of what we couldn't live on before. I mean, that's the cursed system, and that's how it works. And you remember the statistics I was showing you last week. That nearly 80% of retirees believe they'll have more money in retirement than they did during their working years. And it's not so. That's not so for most people. Why? Because they haven't thought in the term of legacy. They haven't built a legacy. They haven't built a system that is outside what they can do, their purpose, their toil. The cursed earth system, this world system is Babylonian system. It's a system of toil, it's a system of slavery. It's a system of debt, and it's a system of good enough, and it's a system of satisfied. But God's system is a system of increase. Go with me now to Deuteronomy 28.1. I'm going to read this one in a scripture I just read a minute ago, because I want to, I want to make sure that we lay this, this point out here, this foundation. Genesis 28.1. It says, Now it shall come to pass, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God, to observe carefully all of His commandments, which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Is the body of Christ as a whole living above all the nations of the earth right now? Think about that. Is the body of Christ today living above all the nations of the earth right now? No, it's not, but that is the promise. Now, Deuteronomy 28, 12. Let me read this again in light of this. It says, The Lord will open His good treasures in the heavens and give you the rain in the land of the season and bless all the work of your hand. You shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Is the body of Christ as a whole debt-free as a nation? No, we saw the statistics last week. No wonder the world's not pressing in to get into the church. We don't have anything to offer them in that area. And yet it's the promise. The promise is we should be debt free. We should be the bastions of wealth lending to nations with the wisdom to run nations. But again, we turned our back on money thinking that it was evil and not good for us to have any of it because we've misinterpreted or misquoted scriptures for so long. But yet, prosperity is the promise. So it's important that we learn how to change kingdoms, how to change thinking of our kingdoms. And so, you guys don't have anything better to do today, do you? Praise the Lord. We're not going to be out of here at 1130 today, folks. 
Praise the Lord. Go over with me to Mark 6. I'm gonna, I'll get through this as quick as I can, but you have to write as quick as you can and retain as quick as you can. Because I'm not doing this just to get through it for speed. This is something that we need. We need this as, as the body of Christ. Mark, we're, we're going to read Mark 6, 35 through 43. So go with me to Mark 6, Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 35. You're all, I'm sure you're all very familiar with this story. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him, speaking, and they came to Jesus and said, Hey, this is a desert place, and it's already very late. Send these people away, that they may go into the surrounding uh, country and villages and buy for themselves bread, that, for they have nothing to eat. So here's the scenario. Jesus has been teaching and preaching all day long. I used to think Brother Norville's services of four hours were long. Jesus had just got done teaching and preaching all day long. And, and so much so, it says 5,000 men had brought their families and assembled to hear the words of Jesus. It took them a while to get there from the surrounding country and villages and got there, but Jesus just kept teaching them about the kingdom of God. Jesus just kept preaching to them about the kingdom of God. And now it's late in the day, and you've got a whole field full of people with, that are hungry. Because they didn't have, you know, roach coaches and, and concession stands and those other things. Nobody was out there selling smoothies and, and hot dogs and hamburgers. There wasn't anything. They were out in the wilderness. And I'm sure a few of them had taken along a few things, but there wasn't certainly enough for everybody out there to eat. So here's the scenario. Now you also have to realize that this is two years into the ministry of Jesus. So his disciples have been with him for two years. So this isn't like day one, they went out to the wilderness, and all these people are here, and the disciples have no idea what to do. These guys have already been traveling with Jesus. They have already, uh, they've already seen what, we, what is documented in Mark 4. They've seen how the kingdom works. How, how the kingdom of God works. Remember the story of the sower. The sower went out to sow. They all, already have seen the importance of being the light to the world. Jesus has already taught them about sowing and reaping. He has already calmed the sea. He's already cast demons uh, out of the man in the garden of Get, uh, Gadarenes. And he's healed the woman with the issue of blood and healed Jairus' daughter. So this isn't day one. This is already there deeply in the middle of Jesus' ministry. But Jesus has been teaching and preaching all day long. And his disciples, they have determined that by now, everybody here needs something to eat. Glory be to God. At least when I go to the Seahawks football games, I can go to the concession stand. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now go with me to, to verse 37. Mark six thirty-seven. But Jesus answered them, but he answered them and said to them, You give them something to eat. And the disciples said to Jesus, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? I want you to see something here. Who did Jesus make responsible for feeding the 5,000? The disciples. Now, Jesus knew his disciples had been with him for two years. Jesus had seen what, what they could do. Jesus has sent them out to minister. 
They had been with him when he, when he cast out demons, when he would healed people, when he had ministered to people like what was going on before. But Jesus made his disciples responsible. But what, his disciples were, were like, us? Who are we? What can we do? See, Jesus was speaking to the people that had the answer for the people. He was speaking to the disciples because he knew that they had the answer for the people. Jesus knew his, his disciples' financial status. He had to have known that they only had a couple hundred denarii worth of, worth of money to go buy bread. He knew what their bank account balance was. You know Jesus knows what your bank account balance is? But there's a kingdom principle here. What is a kingdom principle? We can find it in Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think, according to the power, uh-oh, uh-oh, that works in us. Oh, God's power, the exceeding abundant portion, works according to the power that's working inside of us? See, that's what Jesus just told his disciples. You feed them. This, the miracles are operating according to the power that is working with you. And hey, boys, you've been traveling with me for two years. You've been traveling with me for two years. Now jump over real quick to Luke 17, 20 and 21. Now when Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God does not come with observation. Nor will they say, see here or see there. For the kingdom of God is within you. See, when the Holy Spirit came in and baptized us, it brought God's kingdom on the inside of us. We have everything that is needed for this life and to live godly, for life and godliness. The disciples had everything that was needed to feed 5,000 people with only 200 denarii of money. Why? Because the kingdom of God was on the inside of them. So how do you respond when a believer is in need? I mean, most of us, what do we do? Oh, man, I feel so bad for you. Here, here's $20. Hopefully that'll help help get you through. Here, here's $100. Hopefully that'll take care, of, take care of your situation. How do we respond to a believer that is in need? What do you do when someone comes to you and says, Pastor, because this is, you know, what I hear, Pastor, I can't make my car payment this month. Well, what they're saying is, Pastor, can you make my car payment for me? Well, I can. I can, I can help you make your car payment. I can help you take care of the entire situation and you'll never have to deal with it again. Just pay the thing off. Just pay your car off and you won't have to worry about missing a payment again. Well, most of you would say, Pastor, how could you be so insensitive to people? Well, that's what Jesus just did to his disciples. He said, boys, everything you need is on the inside of you. And he says, since you haven't learned it yet, let me show you how it works again. Because there's a principle here. And it'll work for you to Starting today. It'll work in your life starting today. You know, there's, there's a saying that goes, you give, a, you give a man a fish, you feed him for a day. But you teach a man to fish, and you feed him for a lifetime. But you know, that's not the end of the saying. If he's a wise man, he'll build a fishing business and build himself a legacy, and he'll have an inheritance for his children's children. But see, people who say, 
well, it's good enough, or I'm satisfied. They learn how to fish so that they can feed themselves for a lifetime. But see, godly wisdom says build a fishing business so you can leave a legacy for your children's children. That's the way the kingdom of God operates. Jesus said to them, give them something to eat. Jesus knew their ability. He knew their capability. He knew their authority, their resources, and the right that they had to feed the multitude. But you say, wait a minute. The disciples said that they couldn't do it. The disciples said they were incapable. It was not possible for them to do it. You remember this quote? You believe you can or you can't? You're right. Attributed to Henry Ford, right? But you know where it comes from? It comes from Mark chapter 11. It comes from Mark chapter 11. Say unto this mountain, be removed. And cast into the sea and do not doubt in your heart, but believe those things that you say will come to pass. You will have whatever you say. See, it comes from the Bible. If you believe you can and you can't, when you put your faith in God and understand that the kingdom's on the inside of you, you start thinking differently. You don't start thinking about how can I make payments for my car. You start thinking about, God, how can I believe to buy a car for cash? You don't start thinking about how can I buy a house and finance it. You start thinking about, God, how can I buy a house for cash? Well, pastor, I can't buy a house for cash. Think you can or you can't. You're right. Who says you can't? The world says you can't. You were trained that you can't. But the Bible says you can. The Bible says you can have anything that you can believe for. And Jesus told his disciples, feed these people. So now go with me to verse 38. Mark chapter 6, verse 38. Let's read verse 38 through 40. But Jesus said to them, how many loaves do you have? So he's questioning them. This comes right out of 2 Kings chapter 4. When the prophet said, what is in your house? Jesus said, how many fish and loaves do you have? And then he said to them, you don't know? Go find out. Go see. Why? You need to know what you have for God to work with. You need to know what you have for God to work with. Knowledge, money, resources, experience. You know, most people fail in business because they don't know what they have to work with. They say, well, so-and-so did it. I'm as smart as so-and-so. I, go, I can go make a business just like them. But see, as believers, we need to know what we have so we can give it to God so he can multiply it. Whatever a man sows, he'll reap. It's what you have and you, you give to God that he multiplies. So he said, hey, go find out what it is that we have to work with. Go see. And they found out and they said, hey, we got five fish and two loaves. Or excuse me, five loaves and two fish. They had fish and loaves. Praise the Lord. Jesus did not make his plan until he knew what resources he had, what, a, what, what was there. He didn't make a plan. He didn't say, guys, here's the plan. Now go find out what we got to work with. He said, no, find out what we got to work with. And then he made a plan. And, and most people, when they operate, I don't know how many of you guys have ever shot a rifle, but you, you know, you're, most people, believers, when they're, when they're trying to, to operate in faith, they, they go, ready, fire, aim. You don't hit the target ready, fire, aim. You hit the target by ready, aim, and fire. And so we make the plan once we know what the resources are. You know, in Isaiah 2, it talks about the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of understanding, the spirit of favor. It talks about how, how these can help you operate. Well, see, we need the spirit of wisdom. 
We get the knowledge and now we have the wisdom. We got the knowledge. How many fish and loaves do we have? Now we, we can apply wisdom to the knowledge and we come up with a plan. So then Jesus commanded them to all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Now where did Jesus get this spiritual principle from? Well, he's God. He came up with it. Anybody remember a guy named Jethro and a guy named Moses? Do you remember Moses, the prophet of God? Called to lead the children of Israel out? His father-in-law Jethro had to come to him and said, you're going to kill yourself. You can't, keep, you can't keep operating this way. You've got to devise thousands and hundreds and, and, and fifties and tens, and you've got to put people over them. You've got, you've got to separate them out into groups to make, them, to make it something you can work with. Well, Moses was dealing with millions. Jesus is only dealing with 20,000 by the time you figure men, women, and children, maybe a little bit more. And so Jesus says, hey, there's a spiritual principle here. Why don't you make them sit down in groups of 50? Why don't we put them in, into smaller groups here? And then um, let's, let's change kingdoms. So go with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 41. So then Jesus had taken the five loaves and the two fishes. He looked up to heaven. He blessed it and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes he divided among them all. See, something significant happened here. And you don't want to miss this, because this is, this is significant. If we can learn what Jesus did here, we can operate in this principle. This isn't a religious thing. This isn't something you go and make, make, make a, a tradition of men. This is a principle of how the kingdom operates. What did Jesus do? He changed the kingdom of the fish and loaves. He took fish and loaves that were from the natural, natural kingdom. They were probably barley that had come out of the ground and fish that had come out of the sea. And they were dried and they were baked and they were ready to be eaten. They were natural fish and they were natural loaves. But Jesus took the fish and the loaves and he said, Father, I'm changing the system for which these supply the need. And see, money does that for us. Money is a system of exchange. You know your paper money that you have in your, your wallet and the bank balance you have? It isn't worth anything. It has no tangible value. The government of the United States tomorrow could make it worthless. Your bank balances and every penny you have in your pocket. But it's a means of barter. We use it to exchange. I no longer have to bring two goats and a, and a chicken in to give to Eugene to get him to come out and mow my lawn. Thank the Lord, like I said last week. Thank the Lord, we don't have goats and sheep and turtle doves flying all around the church. You know, because people are bringing them in as they're offering. Money is our, our means of exchange. And so just like Jesus, he took the bread and the loaves, this natural thing, and he transferred its kingdom by lifting it up to heaven. It says, he looked up to heaven, he blessed it and broke it. He changed the kingdom for the, for the gift that was given, the breads and loaves. And we can do that with our, with our finances. Most of us, most people, when they give an offering, they grab their offering envelope, they jam their offering in it. When the bucket comes by, they throw it in and go, well, thank God I got that done with this week. You, the offering plate comes by, you know. I remember when I grew up in the Catholic Church, you know, the offering plate would come by and people would be putting their dime and their nickel and maybe throwing a dollar bill in there, you know, giving grudgingly. This is a heart thing. 
The kingdom is a heart thing. It's a relational thing with God. Jesus said, Father, I present to you these fish and loaves. No longer are they bound by the natural laws of this earth because now they are part of the kingdom financial system. And they took the fish and loaves, and it says that they broke it, and they fed them all. See, that's the way the kingdom financial principles work. We need to transfer our natural money into the kingdom finance system. Most of us are are sowing, we're we're tithing, we're doing those things, but we never take the time to operate the principle we find here in Mark 6.41, which says, Father, take this and, and bless it and transfer it. We're sowing it into good ground. We need a kingdom finance transfer. We need to get our wealth out of this cursed earth system, this Babylonian system, and get it into the kingdom system where it's a system of multiplication and increase. Because God's kingdom is all about multiplication and it's all about increase. And if we can get hold of this principle, we can start to now experience the supernatural blessing that doesn't come through toil. They didn't have to toil. They didn't go cook bread for 5,000 people or 20,000 people. They didn't send fishing boats out and pull all this in and nets. No, the supernatural increase was upon it. And when they got done, what happened? They took up 12 baskets full. Well, that's a waste. Now, why didn't God just give them what they needed? God doesn't operate in the, it's enough. God doesn't operate in the, I'm satisfied. God operates in the the kingdom of abundance. He operates in the kingdom of increase. I mean, you remember when Jesus told Peter to go out, cast down your net? And we'll probably talk about this too before we're done with this uh, series. But he told him to cast down his nets. His nets were so full it was breaking. Well, why did they didn't need that much? They didn't need that many fish. Well, what do you suppose that they did with all those fish? They sold them. They sold them. And now they had money to go and minister. They had money to take the gospel, advance the kingdom. Jesus took natural items, blessed them, and transformed them into kingdom resources. How do you think you take, what was it, $1.37 million building, 45 people attacked, I still remember the look on the the banker's face. How many people are here on a Sunday morning? Well, we're averaging about 45. 45 people can't pay for a $1.37 million loan. I said, with God, they can. And he looked at the finances. And he goes, the financial sheets look good. I said, yeah. Why? Because we made a kingdom financial transfer. We went from what was here and failing, and headed to foreclosure, and we changed systems. I remember the day, January 15th, 2015. I remember it. And we changed the name of this building to paid for. We came into agreement and started to believe God. What happened on Monday? Nothing. Banks still thought they were foreclosing on the building. But by April, when I had the banker sitting in my office telling me that there's no way a congregation of 45 can get a loan for $1.37 million. There's no way they can afford the payments. There's no way they can work. And then he looked at the, kept looking at the financial statements, saying, this is something we can work with. If you guys can keep this up, we may be able to get something done. 
And by September, when they said, hey, you know what? Your finances are so good. The financial committee has agreed to approve your loan. We're going to go to the full committee next, next week. You know, and you, and you get shouting. You're like, oh, thank you, Jesus. And then you get the phone call. Oh, we can't approve the loan. What do you mean you can't approve the loan? Well, the NACU has these rules. They can't use your great financial statements now. They've got to use the last year in one. Well, what do you do? You say, hey. There's an answer because this building has been changed from the natural to the supernatural realm. And they came up with the idea. But we've got an idea. I bet you do. We can forbear your loan until January. You give us these financial statements in January. We can get this loan approved. Praise God. That's what happens in kingdom transference. They told us it couldn't be done. But you're sitting in a building that is completely up to date on all of its payments. We haven't been late on a payment since 2015. Praise the Lord. Yeah, give the Lord a hand clap. He did it. He did it. This, this, this works because it's a kingdom principle. This doesn't work because I say some fancy words and, and it becomes routine. It's a kingdom principle. We change the system. We get it out of the Babylonian system and get into the kingdom system. And over the next few weeks, I'll share several, several more stories. But see, we need our supernatural, we need supernatural prosperity and increase upon our offerings. You know, we, for years, we've been asking for it on communion. I mean, we come in on communion Sunday, and the preacher gets up here, and he's got just uh, uh, Welch's grape juice, and he's got saltine crackers, but you know what? We pray over it. We change the kingdom dynamic of what it represents. And for, for all your Christian life, you said, hey, I understand that. We just need to understand it in the financial realm. It's no different. The kingdom works this way. It's a principle. Principle of the kingdom. All right, let me close with this scripture. Mark 6, 42-43. So they all ate and were filled and they took up 12 baskets full of fragments and of fish. I just want to share, I had a, a used car dealership in Tumwater, Washington, the big city of Tumwater, Washington. And I want to share with you how this works in a personal life. So we have this used car dealership, and now just a little bit farther south from us on Old Highway 99, there's another car dealership, right? And... Um, we're not competitors. I know the guys, they're, they're fine. You know, they, 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 they're running a business. I'm running a business. Well, I, this one, I, I just, I, this story has always just blessed me. All of a sudden, this red Nissan pickup drives in the driveway. And the guy walks up to me, and I happened to be there that day, if you believe in happen-tos. I believe in divine appointments, but I happened to be there that day. And so I walk out of the, you know, the, car, the, the building there, the office, onto the car dealership, Lord, I, I, I meet the gentleman. I say, hey, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Hey, I'm the one that talked to you on the phone. I've got to get rid of this Nissan. I've got to get rid of it right away. And you offered me $1,500 over the phone, phone for it. I, I, I need the money, and, and how quick can we get this done? Well I, well, I wish when I had my car dealership, everybody came in like that. But this is a principle of what's going on here. This is a supernatural increase. A guy comes in with a Nissan pickup truck that's worth four times of what he's telling me I offered him for it, and he just wants me to give him the cash, and, and then he says, and then can you give me a ride back to Shelton because I have no way to get home once I do this deal. So this guy drives all the way from Shelton. What would you say, 45 minutes? 
45 minutes from Shelton down to, uh, you know, to South Tumwater. And, uh, and he drives into a dealership. I've never talked to this guy before. He tells me how much he wants for this thing. I said, $1,500, it's yours. You know, I mean, just think about it. Think about somebody, you know, drove a, a $5,000 car over to your house and said, hey, look, uh, would you give me $1,500 for this? Uh, I just need the money now and I need a ride home. I said, like, praise God. Gave him $1,500, had a great conversation with him, got a chance to share with him all the way out to Shelton, dropped him off, drove back home, put that thing on the dealership. That thing didn't last on the lot a couple days, and it was gone. Now, did I have to toil for that? Nope. See, that's supernatural financial increase. It wasn't based upon what I did. I didn't have to go out and knock on doors, hey, you got any cars you want to sell? You got any cars you want to sell? You got any cars you want to sell? No. It was a divine appointment. It was supernatural financial increase. And it's the way the kingdom of God is designed to work. Yeah, there is work in the kingdom of God. I still had to work. I had to harvest the thing. You know, I had to give him $1,500. I had to do all the paperwork. I had to drive. I still, there was work involved, but there was no toil. And that's what checks in the mail is all about. For those of you who are visiting, checks in the mail. Pastor Frank, or Elder Frank is talking about there. It, it's about checks in the mail. You go to the mailbox, you open your mailbox up, and you go, praise the Lord. I wasn't expecting this. Because that is the supernatural financial uh, way the kingdom operates. And it's the way that we should be operating as believers. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for the opportunity again today to bring your word. I thank you, Lord that you are a God of increase. I thank you that supernatural abundance and anointing is upon us. For Father, at the beginning of the service, you gave us a word. And I'm laying hold of that word. I lay hold of it. Why? Because it, it's a principle that is in your word. And I can stand on it. You're not a man that you can lie. And I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord. And I thank you, Lord, that your blessing will follow me everywhere I go. I thank you that it will follow each and every person everywhere they go. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwab. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321 or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at valorcc.com. Or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.